In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So today, we start a new season in the uh, Coptic Church, and it's the season of Kiach. We talked about this before, about how the, the church gives us the entire calendar year, and it's broken up into different months. So even though we've been fasting for the past however many weeks, that the, the month of preparation for the Incarnation begins today um, with the official, well, I should say, with the start of the month of Kiach. Trivia question. Is today the first day of the month of Kiach? Who heard what today is during the Synexarium? 30th day of Hatur. So then why did I say Kiach begins today? It's just like one of those things that happens in the church calendar where the church says that you, always, you have to have four weekends in the month of Kiach because they're very special. Okay, so the month of Kiach is like the, the Advent, so you have to have four weekends. But this year, the way it works out, because Christmas, January 6th is a Sunday, uh, January 7th is a Sunday, so January 6th is a Saturday night, so there would only be four Sundays, okay, in the month of, or there would only be three in the month of Kiach if we did today, Hatur. So in this situation, the church says, take the last one of Hatur, turn it into a Kiach. Okay, why that's nice to notice, this is not part of my sermon yet, why that's nice is because the church gives us principles and guidelines, but the church is not like a, sometimes we think of it like very strict and it's like a cage, okay, it's not, it says that we don't want the people to miss one of the months of Kiyah, one of the Sundays of Kiyah, so turn one of these into these. Anyway, that's not our sermon. Our sermon today, this season of Kiyah, if I had to come up with one word to describe it, like I say Lent, Lent is a season of repentance. I say like apostles fast. Apostles fast is a period of like mission and evangelism and witnessing. Kiach, Advent, is a season of what? Okay, it's, we think of it as a season of praise because that is for sure like from our end. But there's a different word that I want to use and I'll, I'll go to the psalm that was just read to us right now. All the psalms actually had this similar theme. The word I'm thinking of begins with an A. See if you can guess what it is. Not announcing. Okay, but that would have been a good one. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> you will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute. It's a season of what? Begins with an A. Anticipation. Very good. Who said that? Where's that voice? Very good. Okay. Season of anticipation. Because what you'll see is during this time, we take the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we read that over four Sundays. Okay, so we split it up uh, 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 into, really there's, if you take the Gospel of Christmas, there's really five Gospels that are read to us, and they're kind of parallel. So today, we read about the Annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist. Angel came to Zacharias, and Elizabeth said, you're going to have a baby. Next week, we're going to read Annunciation of a different child by the same angel, that's Annunciation of Virgin Mary about the birth of Christ. The third week, the two meet each other, Virgin Mary and Elizabeth, they have their uh, meeting with one another. And then week four and week five, four, fourth week of Kiach and then Christmas, you have the fulfillment of these two promises. So first we'll have John the Baptist's birth was announced, and then John the Baptist's birth will be fulfilled. Christ's birth was announced, and then Christ's birth will be fulfilled. And like I said, in the middle was the meeting of the two. So this is a season of anticipation. This is a season of what you've waited a long time for is finally here. This is a season of the people who have sat in darkness. A light has shone for them and that they receive the incarnation of God 
and the salvation of mankind. But the part that I want to focus on right here, okay, you will arise and have mercy on Zion. The time to favor her has come. Yes, the set time has come. The Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute. I want to start by focusing on the prayer of the destitute. Because in today's gospel account, we saw about Zacharias and Elizabeth. And I think that's a very accurate description of the life of those two people, of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were the destitute. Because their story, to me, I love this story so much, you know, I named my daughter Elizabeth. Okay, so I'm a big fan of this story. Zacharias and Elizabeth are the perfect picture, to me, of what to do when there's nothing you can do. Of what to do when there's nothing you can do. Because here you have two people who waited a long time for what? A child. And not having a child in first century Jewish times meant what? It meant you had no hope. Because if you don't have a child, so first of all, you there wasn't like 401ks back then. There wasn't a retirement plan. There wasn't retirement communities. There was, when you get old, your kids take care of you. That's what there was. There was nothing else. So if you don't have kids, then you don't have anyone to take care of you. No one's going to care about you. They're going to throw you away. You're just going to be lying over there wherever it may be. It means you don't have grandkids. Not only you don't have kids, you don't have grandkids. And grandkids were seen as like what you're passing on is going to someone, and then it's going to someone, then it's going to someone. Okay? And same thing, like inheritance back then wasn't like inheritance today, where you could donate it to whatever. Like it was a land. It was a farm. It was a cow. And if you weren't there, basically, that stuff is done. And the worst part, if you had no child, was not the earthly consequences. But the people thought you didn't have a child for what reason? It meant God was against you. It was a curse from above. And the hardest part of this story for me, okay, I'll read you the hardest part of this story for me. I think it was here. The hardest part was they had no child, no hope, nothing good. And verse six says, and they were both blank before God. They were both righteous before God. Wouldn't it have been easier if this said they were both wicked before God? That would have made it easier. Then it'd be like, yeah, good. Then it'd be like, okay, you come in front of the altar and you're like, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? And God's like, because you did one, two, three, four, five. That's easy. And if we're honest, isn't that when we find ourselves waiting for God to do something in need of prayer, in need of an answer? And the first thing that the devil puts in our head, it's because you did one, two, three. Or it's because you didn't do one, two, three. It's because you were evil. It's because you, it's because you, you came to church late on that Sunday. I saw you. Because you slept during Father Anthony's sermon. I saw you. It's easy. That's what the devil puts in our head. But here, St. Luke is very clear. They were righteous before God. Like they were the good guys. They were the priest. They were the ones serving. They were the people that, that you looked at them as like leaders in the community. They were the ones that, that, that if you needed someone to like watch your house, you give them your keys, like you trusted them with anything. They were the people that were the righteous and the up here. So here's my question that I want to ask, which I'm sure they asked. Why did God choose to give kids to others, not give kids to them? For sure they asked that question. For sure you've asked that question. God, why did you answer her prayer, not my prayer? God, why did you heal his kid, not my kid? 
God, why did you do this for that family, not for my family? We've all asked that question. Zacharias and Elizabeth teach us two things we're going to look at here today. They teach us what to do in that situation and what to believe in that situation or think in that situation. What to do when there's nothing you can do, what to believe when there's nothing you can do, what to think. We're going to start with what to do, because believe it or not, what you do comes before what you believe. We think of it the opposite way. It's like, we think of it in terms of like, you know, I just, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I have hope. Honestly, in the beginning, what you do is more important than what you believe. You need to do the right thing, and eventually the belief will come. Trust me on this one, stick with me right here. Believe comes after do. If I had to come up with a verse that summarizes what you do when there's nothing you can do based on, Zach based on Zacharias and Elizabeth, okay? Based on Zacharias and Elizabeth, I would say it's Psalm 4, verse 5. Anyone know what Psalm 4, 5 is? If you sat with me in confession for, you sat with me in confession for long enough, I've probably told you Psalm 4, 5. Repeat after me. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. All together, offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. What does that verse mean? Offer right sacrifices means do your job and leave the results to God. Do what you need to do. But, but what, God, Father Anthony, what do I do in this situation where I'm not sure what God wants me to do and I'm not sure why God has it and I'm not sure where God is? You offer right sacrifices and you trust in the Lord. You know you need to do the right thing. You know you need to offer prayer. You know you need to go to church. You know you need to read your Bible. You know what you need to do. Do the right thing and leave the consequences to God. Zacharias received an answer to his prayer, the long-awaited prayer, which he'd been praying for so many years. What was Zacharias doing when he received the answer to his prayer? They had no child. So it was, verse 8, that while he was blank as priest before God, as he was blank before priest, as priest before God, what was the blank? Serving. Zacharias got his answer to prayer, not when he was sitting in the back crying, holding himself a pity party, saying, woe is me. He didn't get his answer to prayer when he was sitting in front of the couch on the, on the couch in front of the TV. He got his answer when he was in front of the altar offering sacrifice. Because you know why he was offering sacrifice? Because it was his job to do so. The way it worked back then is the priest, okay, like I said there, his, his lot was, it was his turn. So it was, they had like a, a rotation where who would like offer the sacrifice. And it came up for him. And I'm sure if it was me and you and my lot came up when I'm in this mood, what I would have said is... Call Father Timothy, let him do it. I'm not feeling it today. Send in the other priest. Someone else do it. What's the point? I've been offering sacrifice for years and I didn't get any answer to my prayer. Send someone else to do it. I, you've been in that situation. And it, when someone comes to you and says, you should pray about it. I can't pray anymore. I can't pray anymore. I prayed too much. I prayed all the... I can't. You've been in that situation, right? Well, Zacharias teaches us that in that situation, when there's nothing that you can do and you feel like God is not listening and nothing is happening, what you need to do is you need to do your job. And you need to offer right sacrifices. If it's time to pray, get up and pray. If you need to read the Bible, open your Bible. If you need to go to church, you go to church. And you say, why? What's the point? Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. You know who else taught us this? Does anybody know what the gospel last night Vespers or this morning Matins was? Who? 
Okay, Mark 14. What's in Mark 14? Something about Jesus. Just say something, anything about Jesus. Thank you. Something about Jesus. Okay. Trying to help you out, Mark. Alabaster flask. Okay, very good. Alabaster flask, Mark 14. There was the woman who anointed Jesus before his death. Okay, so here comes a lady being in the house of Bethany at Simon of the leper. He sat at the table. A woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on him. Now, we don't know the details of why she did this. We know she did it in a prophetic way. But we can take it and we can say most likely there was something in her life. There was a reason. There was something. And she just felt like she needed to offer something to God. And again, we don't know the details. Okay, this is different than the one of window where the lady anointed the feet and then the sinful woman. This is not that. But this is a lady who was in desperate need of something. And all she knew is, I need to offer myself to God. And she didn't know what was going to come of it. That was Vespers last night. How about Matins this morning? Even better story. Widow with two mites, Mark 12. Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So Jesus called his disciples himself and said, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for, she, for they put in out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. I love this story of the poor widow because this is the perfect, perfect picture of what Zacharias, in essence, did. Here comes a lady who's got nothing. She got nothing. She got no money. So you would say to her, she probably prayed for years, God, give me a job, no job. God, for years, let me win the lottery, no lottery. God, let somehow my fortune turn in a positive way so that I can have some financial. And the answer was no, 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 no. So what are you going to do, lady with two mites? What are you going to do with those final two mites? You know, offer right sacrifice and you're going to trust in the Lord. You're going to give up the last two mites? Yeah, God will bless. Well, how come God didn't bless the third one or the fourth one or the fifth one? God didn't bless any of those. You offer right sacrifices. And you trust in the Lord. You do your job. You do your job. And you trust for God to do his. So number one, what to do when there's nothing you can do? What to do when there's nothing you can do? Do your job. You offer right sacrifices and you trust in the Lord. You don't stop praying. You don't stop serving. You don't stop reading your Bible. You don't stop going to church. You do the things even though, this is what I'm trying to say, is even though you're not feeling it in here. We get so, but I'm not feeling it in here. That's okay. The feeling in here comes after. That's going to be the second thing I'm going to talk about. But the first thing you do is you do what you know you need to do even though you don't feel like doing it. And then the second part is what do I believe? What you need to believe, what we need to believe, is we need to believe, this goes actually back to the Ruth series that we just finished up not too long ago. We need to believe that God is working. We need to believe that God is working even when we don't see him there. And that's what Zacharias and Elizabeth teach us. Remember back in the Ruth series, we talked about how just around the corner from the worst is God's best. And we talked about how the things that seem like an end may actually be only the beginning. That's the way it was for Zacharias and Elizabeth, is that what seemed like the end of their life, the end of their story, the end of everything. They lived a whole righteous life and the end was going to be, it was just going to shrivel up and nothing was going to come of it. Zacharias and Elizabeth, this is the beginning of their story. This is day one. Like we didn't know anything about them before today. 
The beginning of their story is when they got to the very, 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 very end. Okay, now we can start your story. Now your story begins. What I want to say is that sometimes the word hope, what does hope mean? Hope is different than, sometimes we think of hope like I have no hope. We think of it like, I don't think anything good is going to come from this. I don't think that's what hope, I don't think that's what we need to believe when it comes to hope. I don't think hope needs to mean that something is going to come of this or we're going to get an answer to our prayer. I think hope means that I know God is working, that I know God is in it, that I know that I'm not by myself. And if I know that he's in it, even though I don't know the outcome, I'm okay with it. I'm going to keep on going. Like if you think about it, Zacharias and Elizabeth got an answer to their prayer. Not really. What they prayed was that when they were in their 30s, or probably 20s, they got married pretty young back then, when they were in their 20s, that they'd have a kid and they'd go to the kid, you know's uh, Christmas show and it's, well, probably knows Christmas back then, but like they, they prayed that their kid would be friends with their cousin's kids. And then when they were in their 30s, they prayed that God would give them something by 40. And then when they were in their 40s, they prayed that just at least, you know, that, and they kept on praying and got no, 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 no way. No way what they got is what they prayed for. Would you agree with that? There's no way that what they got is what they prayed for. But here's the point. God didn't give them what they wanted. God didn't give them what they prayed for. God gave them according to his divine plan. That's hope. Hope is not. We were having a conversation about this recently with a group. We're talking about like, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Do I believe? Like, does it mean that I need to, I'm going to believe that God is going to give it to me? And what I'm saying is no. I don't know if God's going to give it to you. But I believe that he's working. And I believe that he's in it. And I believe that he's not dead. And I believe that you offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. That you keep on serving. You keep on doing your job. And I believe that you're going to get not what you want, not what you pray for. Not what I want, not what I pray for. But you're going to get according to God's divine plan. His perfect, eternal, customized just for you plan. And that's going to be the best. At times, we're tempted to feel like God is not there, like God is not working. At times, we're tempted to feel like God is working in everybody else's life except mine. Zacharias and Elizabeth were tempted to feel that way. All they wanted, they didn't want anything special. They just wanted a normal baby. Just give us a normal baby to play with the other little babies. And God said, no. But what God ended up giving them was much greater. John the Baptist over here. And sometimes, follow me on this one, sometimes it has to get a little dark. Sometimes it has to get very dark for you to see the light. And that's what we were talking about, again, a group of us were chatting the other day, about how Christmas happens in darkness. Christmas is, like Easter is very early Sunday morning, a bright light shown. Christmas is the opposite. It's silent night. It's the darkness of night. It's in the middle of nowhere. But it's a light, the true light has come into the world 
but you wouldn't have recognized the light unless there was darkness. And for us, the season of Kiyah, like I said, a season of anticipation. Doesn't mean a season where all of our prayers get answered, but it does mean a season where the light will shine. The light will shine. And that's our hope, is not answers to prayers, but our hope is that light will shine. And it's our challenge, our goal of this season, is to find the light working in our life. And sometimes it has to be, like I said, a little bit dark to see that light, but guaranteed, 100%, the time has come. That was the song we started with. The set time has come. The time for God to come down, shine his light upon his people has come. That's what we celebrate there during this time. We're going to do our part. We're going to offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. We're going to what? What's that verse again? The verse is? One more time. We're going to? going to offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. We're going to do what we need to do, even when we don't want to do, we're not feeling it. And then number two, we're going to believe, we're going to have hope. Hope not that I'm going to get what I want, but hope that God is working. Hope that God is there. Hope that no matter how dark it is, that's just a matter of time before that light shines. And I'm here and I'm looking and I know God is in it. I know where, I don't know where he is. He's somewhere, but I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep on praying. And I know that God is in it. We're going to find God. We're going to find the light. And that's what this season is all about. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Amen.